Hey guys, welcome to episode 113 of the JV Club with my guest Bruce McCullough, of course, part of the Boys of Summer series. I'm so delighted to have had Bruce on the podcast. I think he just did um, Cole and Vanessa's podcast recently, so the timing's kind of fun uh, on that, or terrible if you feel like you don't want to listen to more Bruce McCullough. If you are that person, I think you're insane, uh, as I do feel he's a genius. But uh, I hope you uh, you enjoy uh, hearing a little bit more about um, Bruce's teen years. I thought it was quite wonderful and fascinating. It's always nice when you're, uh, and he and I were talking about this, when you podcast someone that you um, are very close to, because there are definitely still things that you just don't notice coming up in, in regular conversation. And so I feel kind of like... Uh, that was such a treat for me to hear about some things that I didn't necessarily know about. So anyway, just can't say enough good things about the episode. I hope you enjoy it. Uh, shout out wise, I would love to um, quickly apologize for the appearance of the Nerdist channel page for the JV Club. Um, boy, oh boy, it has looked very, very, very bad indeed for uh, several weeks. They are doing a website overhaul and I've been assured that that page will uh, eventually look better. But um Boy, if you've visited it, uh, you and I both know it looks like garbage right now. So hang in there. I'm going to keep uh, hounding them and figuring out what's going on. Uh, in the meantime, on uh, Phil Lamar's page, I want to thank Sharon, Esdeem, and PJ for your comments. I want to thank Caitlin and Stephanie for your lovely emails. On Twitter, I uh, I did manage to jot down a few shout outs. Um, Braving and Defaulting, PJB Daniel, John Pip, everyone uh, who saw that I was not able to go to the Orlando uh, convention because of my uh, injury. Uh, I am definitely getting back uh, on track, I guess. I, that makes it sound like I'm a track star, guys. That's not the case. But uh, but I'm definitely healing nicely and um, nothing to uh, be too concerned about. I feel now bad for actually... Uh, tweeting that picture because it was really gross and I think I grossed some people out, but uh, <laughs> I wasn't thinking straight at the time, guys. Um, anyway, I hope you enjoyed this episode and uh, I'll talk to you soon. Now entering Nerdist.com Daves, I know, I know. <laughs> These are the Daves, I know. What if you only agreed to do old kids in the hall sketches on this podcast? I will I do that as sit. sort of as a mashup. Yeah. Of, and it'll be like real conversation. This is going to be wonderful. This is going to be wonderful. So I'll ask you very serious heartfelt questions and you will you will try to pull some kids in the hall reference yeah the problem is i don't remember most kids in the hall stuff yeah as people come up to us now and go like oh i love that one about it's like really oh that sounds funny (laughs) (laughs) we sounded like we really had our shit together what a joy (laughs) were there ever i this is not a kids in the hall uh related podcast but it unfortunately because you started it now i want to ask were there ever um and also, these are probably any kids in the call questions. What am I going to come up with something new? But were there ever times when you felt like, like, let me say this: when we were doing, when I was in my sketch group, because it's all about me, uh-huh. there would there would be occasions where I would think, God, he really wrote a great character for himself. I kind of wish I could play that character. Um, Did you ever have that with any any characters, or were you so rooted in the characters that you had? that were sort of yours that you never Oh, no, about. I don't really know what a character is. But you weren't like, you were never like, I wish I could be Chicken Lee. <laughs> no, no. And as, so you know, hard to picture. And as I watch him now, as we're doing that in our live show right now, you're probably so put crying. on the five people from Lily put, put on the chicken uh, lady costume for him. Yeah. I'm glad I didn't. <laughs> and of course I did the reverse of that, which was when we did our last mini series, I played Ricky, a guy in a, in a fat suit. And it's like, why the fuck would I do that to myself? Why <laughs> I would I get in the cheap kids in the hall <laughs> fat suit and and I wrote my own depressing, <laughs> you know, the the uh, super wet <laughs> fat suit by you the end really of the day did. was like you really I, did. Yeah, it was really. You gross. were secretly, subconsciously bad about something I mean, at yourself when that was all happening. And as Radiohead said, you you did it to yourself. You did it and to that's yourself. That's what really hurt. Yeah, you did. Yeah. Um. 
Well, thanks so much for doing my Boys of Summer series. Yes, I'd love to be one of your Boys of Summer. I feel like, um, I mean, this is, I, I guess people, I can tell people they have a book. Right. Of course right, you can. That's fair. Only if you want to. Because I've been so excited about it for yeah. before there even was one. Yeah. I really, really wanted there to be one and there is one. And I well, feel and very you vindicated. are, in total disclosure, one of my best friends. And as I, <gasps> as I say to my wife, my emotional mistress, you've been <laughs> pushing me for a long time saying, you should write a book. You should write a yeah. book. And so you've been one of my great supporters. <sighs> I, listen, guys, I just have to say, I cannot say enough how important it will be for you to purchase this book. When does it come out? In the fall? In uh, the it's a, I don't know when it's coming out in the States yet. We're, it comes out in Canada in, in the middle of October. Yeah. Yeah. The, win- the, the sort of rustling orange leaves. Yeah, can you imagine? Can you you imagine? start to feel that homesick feeling even if you're at home and you don't know why and you realize <laughs> it's because it's autumn. Yeah. And you need a book that's going to make you laugh but also connect you to that feeling and put a, put a name and words to it. Yeah, that's what Better I hope than to do. I just did. <laughs> <laughs> what are the chances? Would you say the chances are seventy five percent that all families in Canada will be giving that out as a trick or treat? Well, I do want it as a stocking stuffer. Yeah, yeah. Uh, maybe maybe three hundred families will be doing that. Okay, that's a listen. That's, that's a, a lot. That's a cool <laughs> to imagine three hundred families buying hundreds of copies. Right. I can only assume that trick or treating is as popular in Canada as it yes, is it here. Is, of course. I was in Vancouver for two Halloweens, I think two consecutive Halloweens, and that's one of the reasons I thought I wanted to move there, because it felt somehow so much more charming and old school and Ray Bradbury-esque than any time I've ever spent here in the States with Really? Halloween. I felt here in your neighborhood that Halloween is almost, is so beautiful. It's like... It is, actually. A, like a bad... Like a Spielberg movie of what a family <laughs> it is, It is right? a Spielberg movie. It is, because they close off some of the streets, and it really is a whole parade of children in the... Grown-ups even dress up. You're right. I don't know where. I guess it was just the, you know what it is? It's the difference between having the seasons change there. That's all it took is just somehow having a crisp breeze and some actual leaves on the ground made it seem like the Spielberg movie. But you're right. Here is as well. And in LA, the seasons don't change, but the people sure do. I, I did a gesture with my hands like I was doing a joke, and I think Janet yeah, appreciated that. Well, you got, and your voice got just stilted enough just, that I yeah. knew there was a smooth delivery not <laughs> So in terms of uh, kind of how the writing ended up forming into a book, I know that you were um, doing some writing where you were doing kind of shorter pieces for magazines who had been asking you to do various you know, features in their monthly publications and stuff. And, um, you know, a lot of them are about kind of your life now as a father and your relationship and, and they're, they're personal without being uncomfortable. Right. And, um, funny without being pushy. And, uh, also the stuff that you, where you sort of do kind of give that nostalgia or the stuff that you talk about from when you were growing up um, has that kind of singular way of making, for me as a reader, feel like I'm reading about myself, but also about nothing I've ever experienced or known. I don't know how you do that. Well, that's What's good. your secret? No, it's, you know, I, I do have to think because it's, it's an arrogant act, of course, to, well, to do anything that we do in, in entertainment business, but certainly to write things about yourself. So the only way, reason I can do it is that I think that people will be reflected somehow in it. And just like me writing about Susan Moriarty, my first love, is really about everybody thinking about who their first love was. Yeah, you did it. God, you really did it. And what were you, just to jump right into it, um, because we were just talking about it before we started, but um, just to put your adolescence into context, you grew up in Calgary? I grew up in Calgary, Canada, in a townhouse community. And father of a salesman who drank, which is part of it. Uh, my mother left when I was seven. As you know, I have abandonment issues. Um, that's why I hate bad service in restaurants. <laughs> and uh, that's a joke, too. Um, and so I grew up sort of a very angry, young, uh, you know, young drunk punk. Yeah. And I loved rock music and, you know, fighting and sports 
you know, and those things like rock music was more important than sports. So I finally had to quit sports and just maintain rock music. But I, I was a competitive weightlifter because I was doing, it was all that kind of angry stuff that I was interested in and a distance runner. And so I was a very confused, lost uh, teenager. Did you have a sense when you were that age that you were lost? You know, I know it's so hard to know that, but I feel like I knew that I, I think I was lost and kind of trying to find a way to be that teenager who celebrates it in some way. Like that made me a deeper person. No, I, I, I took the other thing. I took that I'm the smartest guy in the world. I remember once when my girlfriend broke up with me, I was like 14 and I had a really bad like weekend and my dad said, you should go to a therapist. And I said, okay. And then I sat down with the therapist. And the first thing I said to him was, he said, what's wrong? And I said, well, two things. One, I'm a genius. <laughs> and two, the boy girl dating Norm, which I love that, wow. that phrase. I was like 14. Oh my God, you and, smug bastard. Yeah, it was like, <laughs> and I, I don't know what, oh what God, shit I said to him. The boy girl dating for, Norm, what was his reaction? I don't know. He just like, why are you here again? And I only went a couple times and then I sort of got over my, <laughs> my broken heart. And, but I think that's how I thought who I was. And I thought, society doesn't get it, man. You know, and, but I do. And I would go to someone's party and go through their record collection and go, Cat Stevens, T for the Tillerman, ugh, loser, 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 loser. Oh, this one's okay. Like, yeah. and. Because some people put that on as a, because I remember, I mean, of course I would have been attracted to that guy. Right. Um, but yeah. I was also, like, I wasn't interested in the jerk in the sense that I was like demure and coquettish interested in the jerk. It was sort of like. It was more like, oh, he thinks he's pretty awesome, huh? Well, I'm going to take him down a peg or two, right. um, which is not necessarily any more healthy. Um, but some people, I think, didn't really have that relation. Like, someone would do that in a room with a with a bunch of albums and not even really have that opinion. Do you know what I'm saying? Right. Like, for someone else, that could be just artifice and kind of bravado. But you really had that. Like, you really were looking at that, sure that you knew what was fucking bullshit and what was good or okay or decent and what was gold yeah and i i thought something was special about me but i didn't have any idea what it was and i i was frustrated i think i thought i may end up being a loser like i really did i think i thought i may end up you know working one of the warehouses permanently that i work part-time or whatever it what was the world like of of kind of how you how you saw the adult world when you were a teenager of calgary and where you lived is that what it felt like was inevitable if you stayed well, it was mostly stupid men. It was mostly men, you know, in trucks who listened to, you know, whatever, Three Dog Night. And guys who fought and were stupid. And, you know, a lot of dumb guys. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't realize all the smart people that were in the world then. Because yeah. it was just me and my five friends. Right. You know, which is probably only three friends. And so <laughs> I just thought everybody was out of their minds and they didn't get it. And what... Um did you have any, I mean, your sister, was she with you when you were a teen? Was she with your mom? No, she, she left to go live with my mom early in, in, her, in her teenage years. So it became like boys versus girls. When yeah, and I was left alone apart. with my, my drunk dad who was like, don't you ever leave. And then, of course, I finally did. I finally went in the middle of high school to go live with my, my mom in grade 12 Yeah. Um, and crushed my dad. But but kind of had to, and that was good actually because my dad was a boozer, and then he stopped drinking after I left. Actually, oh, he did. Yeah, did he have? Did he date? <clears throat> no. Well, I had a I had a stepmom, Connie mm-hmm. Connie Buchanan, who uh, nice lady, also liked the taste as uh-huh. we like to call it too, <laughs> and so she died of cirrhosis of the liver oh. uh, when when the kids in the hall show was I think in the second season. Mm-hmm. So she was a sweet lady, but you'd have to get up first thing in the morning to talk to her oh, because she'd go to she'd have a little plastic cup. She wouldn't even have like a nice glass, like a nice martini glass. Like I like, she'd have a plastic cup and she'd go get her Hudson's Bay rye right out of the bottle, warm, just put it in her cup and just start drinking. So you, there was about a half hour in the morning when she was a person and then the rest of the day she was not. God, it's so interesting <sighs> because I feel like I know an equal amount, not to just make this about alcoholics in general, but I do feel like I know an equal amount of couple alcoholics, although not to that degree, and then lone alcoholics i guess i think of alcoholism as such a lonely disease that i sometimes forget about 
the idea that two people could find each other and make that behavior okay enough for each other to live under the same roof. Well, they just drink. And it's, yeah. it's so weird. And my dad stopped drinking first. So my mom was, stepmom was still drinking. So it was crazy to Ugh. me. To, he is just filling up her glass, you know. And so you were responsible for yourself. I mean, I don't know how anybody can take care of you with that kind of like you didn't. You had a stepmom, but you didn't. Really oh no, I, have. I could do. I could do whatever I wanted. Yeah, like I, you know, I took acid when I was thirteen. Me too. You know, and, I guess we've talked about and that, I, but I forgot you know, that you did that. And I would like. I remember, you know, and it's of course things have changed. I remember being like eleven with a, a sleeping bag. And just hitchhiking somewhere, <laughs> sleeping outside, and then the next morning, you know, buying seven Mars bars for breakfast and hitchhiking back. Oh like, God. I did whatever I wanted all did, my life. Did you have any friends when you were in high school whose parents, you know, were you, like, were you the kid who was sort of over at so-and-so's house, too, where you kind of felt like, almost like a resentment at that friend, like, I wish I had those parents? I had I had a friend in high school, that, uh, Terry Rocchio, who I ended up staying at his with his family for a couple months after my mom had a heart attack uh, the, on my 18th birthday, and so the last of the semester. And they were really great. They were like a good family, and they they fed me, and they were nice to me. And it is it is regrettable now, like, and it's one of the things I love about the notion of having you know I have fairly young children, nine and seven, is no one ever taught me anything. No one ever taught me to talk on the phone or. I was taught to be polite, but that was about it. No one ever taught me how to handle situations that I should call girls back or in anything, you know, and even, even through my, my entire adult life, like no one taught me what I'm supposed to say to the head of Paramount when I'm directing a film for them. <laughs> or, you know, it's like, no, why didn't people teach me things? Yeah. So I, I, I th- in my own arrogant way, like when there's young people, I like to want to teach them things and not just like, you know, but just like, go, oh, oh, this is how you, you know, or whatever, not teach them in a pontifical way, but here's what might come up and here's a couple options, you know? Because yeah. no one ever did that for me. I just, I just put my face into the fan of every, <laughs> the whirring fan of every situation. And it's so interesting too, I think, when you don't have the normal, when you're not um, introduced to like social constructs and stuff like that, um, or even like emotional social constructs, when you're younger when you do become familiar with them, you, there's such a different adult lens on them that it feels like, I wonder if that's one of the reasons that you're such an amazing writer is I feel, I mean, again, I'm just completely projecting, but this idea of like, well, now I'm seeing how I should have behaved, but I'm also seeing it through the lens of all of the experiences that of the choices I did make. So it feels very not omniscient but like it feels writery to kind of go wow okay so now i'm understanding this it's too late to go back and do this this way and i have this wealth of experience leading up to it you're not gonna you're just gonna learn it differently does that make sense yeah and i think you you've earned it in in some way Mm -hmm. too and i think you know because i've um i was a like kind of a jerk but a humanist at the same time i just had no you know as i say in my book i it's, I had love, it just couldn't leave my body. I didn't know how to let it out of my body. And so that's fascinating. And also to be a young titan of comedy exacerbates that. I mean, I wasn't Justin Bieber, but like no one, even the kids in the hall, like we didn't know that you couldn't yell at people. We didn't know that we, you couldn't yell at people who worked for you. Like we honestly didn't know that because we had just learned that. We yelled at each other as we grew up. We we're, you know, fear biting, you know, five monkeys in a cage. And then as we got a TV show and even as I started to direct films, I didn't know that you couldn't yell at people. And only kind of, I think, when I hit like 40 did I realize that you have to be really nice to people and, <laughs> and that you can't yell at people. I know, and it's wild. Yeah. <laughs> Because what, what, you know, it's the extension of the punk of like, you, you people are so stupid with the music you listen to. What I was doing always was so important Yeah. that why didn't you have the right tape? So we when, talked about this at a production meeting. Uh, come on, man. You yeah. Know, that's so when like, the, what, like when Christian Bale, for example, like had his tantrum, there were so many people, probably me among them, because I was kind of the opposite of you in some right. ways in terms of how I was with authority, at least. 
to where I was like, I couldn't even wrap my head around how someone could just explode like that and sort of be, do you know what I'm talking about? Oh, well, that, yes, like, I, it was like, I don't even remember what it was. Like someone walked across frame or something and he just I, let loose. Yeah, I do understand it. And I'm glad yeah. there was no internet and no camera phones when I was young. <laughs> you know, and I mean all of us, Yeah. you know, probably with the exception Oh, Dave, Dave's a gentleman, but he probably went off sometimes too. But well, also if that's the culture, like then but that's I do, how you get I do heard. understand. I mean, even even last weekend we were doing Kids in the Hall show, and our director Jim Milan after the show, I said, "Why the fuck can't we get the house out music right? Like, what? How many times do we have to fucking talk about this, Jim?" And that's about as far as I would go now. And a part of it, and then ten minutes later, I go, "Oh, Jim, I'm sorry. I was uh, that was too la- that was too much." I, I you know, I was adrenalized from the show. But you walk off, our, our theme ended, and then there's no house out music. Why is there no house out music? Yeah. It's weird. That's so, makes me but that's about too. as far as I would go. And the young Bruce McCullough would never think to apologize for that. Um, and, you know, um, and, but also I did have to fight some battles for the troop too. So I took on that mantle. Part of it was important and part of it wasn't. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And how, and so you just come to a place where you st- where you either are finding that you can make those distinctions or the ones that aren't as important just like organically kind of fell away as you sort of became less angry and understood yourself better. Yeah, and I think if you actually look at the world, you know, I sort of taught, got learned this from my wonderful wife, you know, and she looks at the world like everything is an exchange of um, energy and that you're, it, all you have is the connections you're having with people as you go through life. So why go through angry and pissed off? Why not just go, hey, how are you doing today, man? And of course, you can get exhausted. You know, um, if you're directing a film, you're just exhausted. And if someone's taking, to asking you the same question three times, you know, it's, it's different than the rest of your life. But yeah, that it's actually better. It's kind of, it's kind of you can't say you're a humanist and, and yell at people. <laughs> <laughs> that is... That is hard. That is hard. And yet I think that uh, it's very common for yeah, people. I'm to, sure it is. We have that idea of who we are in our best moments. And we think that best represents who we are. And then we have the way we actually behave. Well, I remember watching the Madonna movie many years ago. And it sort of hit me that she thought she was so beloved. And she t- oh, said to people in, her, tr- in, in her, her backup dancers to come into bed and watch TV with her. And they were having fun. They were having like a fun. And you could tell the backup dancer was scared shitless of <laughs> Because all the other times she slapped her for, you know, being off, a step off or whatever. And it was like, no, 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 you don't see yourself the way people see you. God, and that's so hard too. Being in position, being in a position of power for so long with uh, being someone like her, just not to talk about Madonna, although in a weird way. Why not? I think this might be the, honestly, it's possible this is the first time in like 110 episodes of my podcast that I have ever talked about Madonna. Right. That feels pretty good. That's good. It feels like a yeah. pretty good, like somebody don't, no one told Madonna that. But, yeah. um, but that thing that we talk about too, that reminds me of what you were saying before about being this sort of young titan of comedy. I'm glad I got a chance to repeat that back to you. Um, but I meant that sort of, <laughs> but, but go on. Well, from my perspective, when I was a teenager, you were, but, um, but I, I guess it it's that it is that sort of like the reluctance of other people when you're in a powerful position to do anything like treat you like a peer and so that weird gross cycle of well she's everyone's boss and they're all her puppies right. so sometimes the puppy gets spanked and sometimes the puppy's let onto the bed and right. it's her decision right. which version of her you're going to get at any given time and how do you how do you get? How do you be successful at something and make sure that you still have people around you who can call you on your shit and that you don't feel like the president of everything all the time? Right. Well, and I wonder what Taylor Swift does, right? right? And we've also she's you probably haven't mentioned her either. I don't think I have. Uh, um, <laughs> you know, because she seems so nice and she actually answers her fan mail. You know, as uh, whoever used to make the. Uh, the Beatles do that at the beginning of their thing. They'd have to answer all their hand mail by hand. And then, of course, they then finally go, oh, I'm not fucking doing that. Right. Well, I'm not doing that. Well, that's <laughs> probably one of the Beatles or all of them. Um, but, you you know, but people could exhaust you, too. I don't know. It is exhaust. I mean, that's like, yeah. God, it's a real, it's definitely a, a weird line to walk. Because even just being, like, I remember I was shooting this movie with some kids from my Carly in, in Canada. And... <clears throat> it was like you had to build an extra hour onto every time we walked out onto the street because 
Nickelodeon does a great job of really reinforcing like you're famous because these kids watch you. Right. And if these kids don't like you, they're not going to watch you and they're not going to watch our network and you don't have a job and we'll fire you. Right. And they're right. And, um, and, and also they hire for the most part, really great kids. I mean, I think they've, they've, there are things that they've figured out. Um, and I'm sure there's a bunch of stuff I don't know about and also my boss, but, uh, but they would just, they would just do it. You know, the kids would come up and be excited, and no matter what was happening, we would just take pictures. Not me, but right. they would just take pictures. And I think that I thought to myself, like, God, this could either just zen you out to the point where you really your existence is just, you know, I'm this is I'm going to enjoy this because right. this is part of what I signed up for, and and is it the worst thing in the world that all these people think I'm great? But that there are those moments where you kind of do want to be the young drunk punk and just be like. <laughs> Yes, of course. You know. And but also for me I've I've gone through the transformation obviously because it's it's been many years now of you know, I used to be afraid of people. I was scared when people would come up to me. I didn't want it. I didn't like it. And now I actually like it because our you know, my my fans or our fans are freaks. Right. And we reflect off each other and it's um it's one. It's nice to meet them, yeah. and they're not going to eat me alive. You know, yeah. there's the odd, weird goth girl with daddy issues that would eat me alive, but uh-huh. um, given the chance, of course. But <laughs> um, in general, they're actually the work I do. They like. So I, I. It took me a long time to realize that. Yeah. That there's nothing to be afraid of. Well, and they, I mean, what? It, yeah, you're sort of the. <laughs> You are kind of the rescue dog who hasn't been given really any attention, like the positive, like you're, you're not getting positive attention from your family in, in a really real way, right? If you're sort of, I mean, living with the dad that you lived with and stuff, what were the girls like that you were attracted to when you were a teenager? Who would you, who, who? Well, I actually, a couple girls that, that I went out with. Um, Susan Moriarty was, was the, my first love. Um, they were kind to me. They were nice to me. And they gave me tea. And they weren't like, they didn't break my heart. You know, and as I sort of observe in my book that, you know, there's two important things. One is if you have what your family's like, and mine was kind of a shitstorm. <clears throat> but the first person you love is almost as important because they sort of train you for love, as Susan Moriarty did. And she, so she was kind to me. She, I didn't find her like necking with my friend in the bathroom at a, at a party like most you know, 13-year-old relationships went. She loved me and she moved away. And um, there's a story in the book about that. But it's like I liked nice girls at, you know, actually all my life. And you were nice back? And I've liked ba- sometimes I, I like bad girls too. But um, I end, tended to go out most successfully with quite nice girls. And what would Susan say about you? Um same or would you yeah i think she well it'd be interesting to see to talk to her again but i think she thought i was um a sweet got kid who obviously had it not so great at home yeah yeah and i was interesting in some way or something and worth giving tea to yes of course yeah and so when it, I want to get back to the uh, competitive weightlifting because i'm not sure i knew that about you and i am very charmed by that yeah um that sounds so because that sounds participative, right, in school in a different way than the person who, like, just wants to zone out and listen to music and drop acid and stuff. Well, so how did all that kind of, like, fit together in terms of how you were as a student? What, you know? Well, no, it was – well, competitive weightlifting, it's all you. So you're, all, you're in a gym trying to lift – grunt up as much weight as you can. And, I did, you know, I was a marathon runner. So it was all me alone running. Even Even when the Kids in the Hall show was on, I would – I would go on a bicycle trip on my own and go from like Santa Fe to Albuquerque or wherever and like have these lonely kind of reading John Kerouac, Jack Kerouac books and then burning them in the fireplace when they were done. (laughs) You know, and like I, it took me a long time to kind of get social. I just take to, you know, I've only kind of socialized myself in my, in my forties, I think. (laughs) And so is that how you felt that is that really the the kind of main pocket where that you felt understood was when you would kind of have these relationships with the girls that you could actually kind of talk to and feel connected I don't know to in if some I, way or did you even give anything I don't over know if I them? I don't know if I talked I think I was just with them and you know because and like basking in their tenderness more than articulating it or like mm-hmm. ever saying how I felt or I tell them I love them and all that stuff and I'd write Susan Moriarty uh, glowing love letters once she moved away but 
I don't think we sat around talk. I sat around talking about myself or, you know, endeavored to know myself even, even mm-hmm. really. How were you with teachers? How did you behave? Well, I was always funny. So the teacher would either like me or hate me. So it would just go one way or the other. Did you have, that sounds like it could also be the recipe because you're so bright of the teachers who are like, I'm going to, like, I'm going to be the teacher that really speaks to him. I'm going to be the teacher that really connects with him and like shows him what his potential is. Yeah. I had about, I had about six teachers in my life that were like that. And then I had the rest of them didn't like me, Mm -hmm. you know. Do you remember what, um, was there like a through line about what the subject was? You know what I mean? Would it be like always the English teacher? It was, was always it? The, it was always the English yeah. or arts teacher, yeah. as they called it. So that something like that you, you were able to bring enough to the table in those environments that they were like, I see something. I see yeah, this and I diamond was, in the And background. I was good at some stuff. Yeah. I was, you know, I would write funny stories as a, you know, starting in grade two. So I always had that ability or to do some weird showcase where I do some weird thing or something like that. So I did kind of could bring it sometimes. I wasn't just like drawing dragsters on my <laughs> notebook in the back of class. Yeah. I was I was a class clown. So I was effervescent, you know, with a purpose. Uh-huh. <laughs> oh, that's a great phrase, of course. Um, and what about music in terms of, and I know, by the way, guys, I don't think that we're actually going to be covering very much ground, but I did interview Bruce a couple of years ago for Jesse Thorne's Sound of Young America podcast, which is now called Bullseye. And so if you feel like you need a companion piece to this, I welcome you to check that out. Poor you. Um, <laughs> oh, I'm so tired of interviewing Bruce McCullough. But, um, but did you, because you were such a loner, how did you discover what music you loved? Because I know for me my influences really did come from like important friendships or important boyfriends or important, you know, the stuff that like I, because of my relationship with my dad was great. I did sort of like look up to certain things that he was into. And I don't know how much I like came upon myself, you know? Well, I, I had two friends growing up, Brian Connolly, who's in the shadowy man from a shadowy planet and Reed diamond, who was also in that band uh, that, that was the kids in the hall. The house band did the theme song and all that stuff. And they're two years older than me. So they were the coolest guys I knew. And they would just say, here, T-Rex, play it. Here, play this, play that. And in that, I would try to find my own way. Like, I liked Wishbone Ash, and those guys didn't. Ha, ha, ha. I was so, about to ask yeah, you that, if you there know, were those moments of kind of separating But it was, them. you know, and it was at a time, of course, where in the record store, you could actually learn what every record in the record store was, not like today. And so I did. And that sort of became my job. But those guys sort of helped me through it and all the all the weird stuff that came from England. If I didn't know what it was, you would just buy it. And God, yeah. But I do miss... It's so funny because the internet offers a gajillion times more information and access. And I guess that is... It is the sort of like... And this now this is the old timer's corner. But it offers so much more... But it's just a very different experience than, and also kind of what I was into back then and and what I had time for. But um, yeah, real different experience going to now Amoeba, but you know, in Tucson, like there were four different, you know, pretty small used records and tapes places. And every time you saw that white sticker, that little rectangular sticker that said import on it, right? you were like, like the thrill, that feeling oh, almost feels this? like getting hot. You're just like, okay, all right, ho- stop everything. Almost like looking around to make sure no one else is going to like come and try to take it before your hand like touches it. Right. It's just such a specific, it's so different than like surfing the web and being like, oh, you know, listeners who like this also bought and it's just like a click oh, no, away and a, you're just like, oh, I'm okay. It was a well, lot there's of this. Work. And yeah, it, was, right? it was also at the time too, where you would, you would be really into a band and there would be no pictures of them. Yeah. Like you didn't know what, so you would just read the, the liner notes. One of the best experiences <clears throat> I had in my life is when my Shane Bass Man record came out and a girl across the cafe from me <clears throat> had just bought it and she was reading the liner notes, like devouring them and all the weird pictures I have of a fake wedding and all, all kinds of stuff. And it was just like, <laughs> I did that. And she's doing that to my record. Yeah. Yay. Oh, that's a full circle for sure. Did you, were bands coming through that you would see live in Calgary? Oh yeah. Team? No, the people would go, go there for, to get cash. I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't like it would be in other places, but you know, people, you know, T-Rex came, Queen came, you know, a lot of English people, weird English bands like Nazareth, I don't know if they were ever, like, would come. I think there was, like, 
well, there's, you know, let's get some ca- cash. We'll go to Calgary. You know, yeah. Play the Hicks up there. But, you know, bands didn't tour as much. The little bands didn't tour as much in those days, you know. And did you feel like you wanted to be in a band? No. For some reason, I, I saw my friends who were in bands and them carrying their garnet amps home after they lost $30 on a show because they had to rent stuff. <laughs> I don't so know. I just practical of you. And, of course, there was, no, there was no rock stars who had anything that had a, any sort of sense of humor to it. I mean, they might be giants were in a band then or, or whatever. So it was all, like, really serious you know, when I first got into music, it was all embarrassing. Like, you know, guys, English guys trying to pretend they didn't have guts, uh-huh. <laughs> like deep purple and stuff. And it's like, that's, you know, that didn't have any sense of humor or irony or any of that stuff to it. Right. So I didn't think that that would be something I would have been particularly good at. I think I had a secret dream, you know, as I played my dad's Beetle bass that he, you know, willed me um, that I might be in a band. Someone might ask me to be in a band. But I, I don't really think I was very good at doing that. And my friends were brilliant, I thought. And I thought, and also when you're young, you, th- you don't realize how long life is. Mm-hmm. This is for all you young people. It's a lot of, <laughs> you know, and when I, was, when I was 14 and I hadn't learned to play guitar, I thought it was too late for me. That's the cutest thing I've ever heard. <laughs> Did you, because that's, mm. so when you say that your friends you thought were brilliant, I mean, I guess what I'm wondering is, did you, because of everything that you just described yourself as, it's funny because this, what I hear and what I imagine is equal parts, this kind of kid who's really funny, which I guess, were you the kind of funny where you would be self-effacing or were you just funny where you were pointing outward? I was pointing outward. I was, oh, never, okay. I was never self-effacing. Because for me, I would think like the side of me that wouldn't, the side, the side of me that wouldn't be in a band, for me, probably wouldn't have been, you know, that I didn't want to or I didn't think it was practical. It would just be fear of failure. It would right. just be, what if I'm not good enough? Right. And um, and also a lot of my humor and like what else, whatever I was doing in class, I, a lot of it was sort of making fun of myself a little bit. Right. And so, um, yeah, because it's hard. Sometimes it's yeah. I, it makes sense to me now that you were that the humor was pointing outward. Because yeah, and I don't think I was secure kids. enough, right? Yeah. Like it was all making fun of other people. Like yeah. we would. Make but at the same fun. time, you did have this feeling you were special, which I think it's almost like what if. What if I'm not special? Why don't I just like stay under the radar so that right. I don't have to find out that I'm wrong about this gut feeling I have because, in fact, I'm afraid of maybe turning out to be, you know, this hick who works in a factory or something right. that doesn't feel like me. So when did you start feeling like that that thing in your stomach um, took any kind of a, sh- a real shape? Um, I think I th- I think I was about 17 or 8. I think I was about 18. You know, as I said, my my mom had a heart attack on my 18th birthday. I had a terrible year bouncing. And, and you hadn't seen her. You hadn't been seeing much of her when that. Or no, you had moved to be with her. No, I had, a, I had a tequila fest at her house. And she came in after we wrecked her house and um, broke every glass in the house, except for one mug that we only dented. Oh. And she came in and had a heart attack two oh, hours later. No. And so for the next year, I was on, I was on my own. Because she was, had to go to the hospital and she was, you know, she almost died. She's How she's fine though now. Responsible? Did you feel at the time? Um, uh, very, <laughs> very, very. How but does she, that make <laughs> make make a place for itself in your little teenage soul? Uh, well, it was tough, and um, but uh, you know, because you'd only been living with her what a year? Yeah, but she left when I was eight, so we were even. Yeah, um, and back, and it was worse as I had a. I had a stereo that I was given as a graduation gift that had to go back to the Zellers or wherever she bought it because she needed the money. Mm-hmm. And so it was, that's what that next year was like where I was, you know, doing all these terrible odd jobs and driving trucks and driving forklift and building, shoveling sand for six days and then going somewhere else like a guy shoveling for hire. Sand. And then, Ugh. and then I went and I said, okay, I have to go to college. And I, I went and I took business, which is hilarious, right? Because I, which is <laughs> the obsession probably the kids in the hall have with businessmen is mm-hmm. me taking business at Mount Royal <laughs> College. And I, I got 20% that year because I thought, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to just get a good job and make a bunch of money and sell out or whatever. And it didn't work. And then I realized I wanted to do journalism. And so when I started to do journalism, that's when I, things got serious for me. Um, 
But in that, so that was the second year of college. And I saw. What, and so what made you, if you can remember, like what part of journalism? You're saying, like, were you interested in people? Were you interested in. The no, I thought of- I would be a writer. I thought I somehow, I, th- I think actually reading National Lampoon magazine was important to me. And the couple Woody Allen books. The, I think I thought I wanted, I could do that. Yeah. Which is what I finally have done now. Yeah. Late in life, I've written a book that's funny stories, hopefully. Um, but those were very important to me. And so was, so I thought, oh, maybe I could write for National Lampoon. I remember buying, like, buying writer's magazines where they'd say, they'd have lists of places like you could try to sell golf jokes to Golf's Digest. <laughs> oh, wow. And then you would like, sure. And it was like, oh, that's what, and it was sort of depressing too. But, um, and, uh, so yeah, that I thought I could maybe be like a guy who write, wrote something in National Lampoon would have been the hugest dream I could have had probably at, sure. at age like 16 or 17. And was there any kind of a version of that in college that you started with? Well, I wrote for, I wrote for the school paper, but yeah. I just wrote crazy, you know, and I had a column called uh, Dear Abner. No, and it would be like all like... have a column called Dear Abner. And it would be like all... Uh, I'm an isosceles triangle. Um... <laughs> what what and my girlfriend and i are having trouble and then i go well of course you're having trouble because you're an isosceles triangle which means that your sides are, are not equal oh, no. and like it was all just crazy stuff and little weird yeah. weird stories um and but that was that was important to me too but that's still a way of was anything other than this kind of underlying class clown stuff where you're kind of like taking the stage in a in a sort of a quiet, like, backdoor sort of way, you know? Where Was there anything happening where you were, like, really performing? Well, well in a weird way, like, I remember, remember once my girlfriend coming over and I had, like, so I, I just stood in the middle of the road and I had a bag on my head that said, um, I love you, like, just a, a, a paper bag. And it was like cars were like honking at me. And I was under that bag for like 20 minutes till she came over. And, <laughs> and I had like, I had my friend's suit that I hung out my window on a fishing rod. And then I would sort of change, like you couldn't quite grab it from the street. And it was, and I would sort of change the height of it all the time. And sometimes I would change the shirt. And it was like there for about six months till someone finally took it. So I would, I would do stuff like that uh-huh. to kind of like, <clears throat> I, I wouldn't think of it as performance art. I was just doing some weird shit. Right. So I did a lot of that, and I dressed crazy, and uh, like really crazy, yeah. until I found comedy. And then I stopped dressing crazy and started doing comedy. God, it's so interesting. And so your two, your two friends, the cool guys, um, who of course are in uh, the band and still in your life, um, were they funny? Uh Reed, I mean, like, Reed, I don't want to Reed say thought that, he like, was funny. He wasn't uh-huh. that. He wasn't. He, you know, I'm going to get you in trouble. With he was guys. like Daffy Duck, and Brian uh, Conley is funny, but he was Brian Conley, the man, the most beautiful man you've ever seen in your life. Mm-hmm. And he would just stand there with his black pompadour, and the girls would just line up in alphabetical order to oh, be near man. him. Who has, so it, yeah, who has room for yeah. jokes? And I was, I was like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. that's my, that's my Kevin McDonald, by the way. Um, very good, very. And good. I was, I was more not that. Yeah. Yeah. When you, ugh, no, I'm not going to just get into the kids in the hall. I just can't do it. Um, it's hard because you were so young. Then it, and so many of the dynamics of like your life and who you are had ended up contributing so much to the dynamic that you guys have as a group. But I'm just not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. Did you watch a lot of television and movies and stuff when you were a teen? Uh, or mostly listening to music? Not not really. Like, I never watched... Well, you know what? I, we watched, I watched the Carol Burnett show, and I thought that was pretty funny as a kid. But I never watched Saturday Night Live and all those shows, because I was... You know, well, my other... My peers were out, like, going to movies. Like, I never went and saw Star... I never saw... You didn't, yes. I've never... I still never seen Star Wars. Like, yeah. I wasn't... I, I spent a lot... I think I spent a lot of the time at the movies. When yeah, I, I don't... Yeah. You know, I don't think I watched that much TV growing up. Really, like I'd walk, I'd run home to watch rock concert or in concert, but I don't, not that much. And what about reading books? Just oh, oh yeah. God, no, no. Uh, I think, you know, I I did in my when I was eighteen, I started like reading Finding New Yorker, and but it was more like there's some place that I'm going to go someday, 
um, that that represented. I don't think I was a ferocious reader. It's so interesting that you weren't that much of a reader, but you were so. You, but you proved to be such a writer that that. that I think in my. I think once I moved to Toronto when I was twenty three or twenty four, I think I I did a lot of reading then. I thought maybe, and also my bigger dream sort of became maybe I'm going to be in the New Yorker as a writer. You know, I always maybe I'll be John Updike. Yeah. You know, and but of course I'm something else. And you didn't have a sense of the kind of culture of Calgary or is there, because I'm assuming there is. I mean, it can't, it's not, it isn't just the scope of the world that you saw. No, there was other people. I just didn't meet them. You know, one of my best friends, Blake Brooker, who, who has a cool theater company there. You know, had I met him when I was younger, it might have been good for me. But I only literally once saw him before I left town. Yeah. Um. But no, so I didn't know. I mean, there probably were, but there wasn't, there was just no way to connect with other people then. And I was lucky to find the guys in The Shadowy Man and, of course, obviously lucky to find the, the, the troupe. Otherwise, I don't know what would have become of me. God, it can't just be luck. That seems absolutely impossible. Doesn't it? Uh, I don't know. I, I can't, I don't know enough. I think it's luck. Partially luck. It's so crazy. Um, okay, I'm going to do some of these because I think it will uh, give you at least fodder to make fun of me. Uh-huh. But um, I don't know. There's going to be stuff that we've covered already because I really should start with these, but I like to ease into them. Um, but these are these are uh, fortune tellers, otherwise known as cootie catchers, mm-hmm. not names I ever was <gasps> aware of growing up. You know these? Yeah. So um, I'm going to do a couple of these and see if we come up with any different questions that uh, bring up any anecdotes. I, I would um, like to say that Janet is now holding a paper thing. I am. I'm definitely holding this. They've seen it. They've heard it. They've never seen it. Right. Uh, but uh, why don't you go ahead and pick a, a color for me? I'm going to say pink. P-I-N-K. Pick one of these numbers. Seven. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Pick another number. Uh, one. One. And then last number. Uh, five. Okay. So number five, describe your most regrettable fashion choice. Um, well, there's actually two. One Mark McKinney reminded me of not too long ago. Oh, good. I, I would kind of, there was a time when I'd wear like fairly high-waisted jeans. <laughs> like the jeans I would, and then I would take my belt and like get a get the longest belt I could, and I would curl it around what around the belt itself three or four times, and then just let it hang like down to my <laughs> knee, like I was some you know pirate with a long cock or something. Right. And then the other thing, um, I also when I was probably fifteen, I wore platform shoes. You did, yeah. Me and my friend Reed Diamond, we, we were both short little guys, right. still am, um, but we wore platform shoes. Reed Diamond, yeah, not Reed Diamond, Reed Diamond, Reed Diamond from the Shadow, no, from the Shadow. Okay, right, right, right. There's two Reed Diamonds. Yeah, Um, we wore platform shoes. Um, That's, I would say that that might take it. Yeah, as regrettable. Yeah, that's pretty. Or does it? Because I feel like more people were wearing platform shoes than were doing what you just described with your belt. Um, Oh yeah, no, the belt was a thing. I I your special, your own special invention. Amazing. Um, Okay, I'm going to do a different one from a different. These were all made by uh, the lovely uh, Victoria. for me, because I still do not know how to make these. Um, now I'm going to ask you to pick one of these colors, but describe the color in a way other than like red, blue, green, or like what what else does it remind you of kind of thing? Um, why don't we kind of that uh, ennui-ish <laughs> uh, mustard color? Okay. E-N-N-U-I. <laughs> Give me a number. Um, four. One, two, three, four. One more. Um Three. One, two, three. Okay. What is your worst memory of high school? Um, my worst memory of high school. Well, I guess the joke is all of it. But, um, well, no, I know what my worst memory of high I, As I said, I went, I moved <clears throat> up to Edmonton from Calgary in grade 11. And how far away are those two places? Those, they're three hours by car car. And I remember... That's a tough choice to make, right? Is that, that you're almost done with high school yeah. and you're like, I can't do this. I got to go. And I remember going up to my friend Ken Mackay, who be, ended up becoming my friend. And I knew somehow, I think I'd seen some after school movies or something. Like I didn't have a fucking friend in the world going up to him. And I thought, okay, I better try starting a conversation with him because no one's really talked to me for a couple days. And I've been here a couple days. And I went up and had like a really stilted, bad conversation with him. And it just felt like 
I am a loser. <laughs> and I, so I still remember no. going up to Ken Mackay to try to start a conversation. Oh, no. And, but he, and was he nice? Obviously, you guys became friends, so he must have taken I don't think he was nice you. at first. I think he yeah. was wary of this little weirdo, uh-huh. you know. How did your sister, like, how did that, and if it's too personal, you can tell me, but how does that conversation happen where you're like, hey, mom and sister, I'm coming. I'm, I get ready. Well, my mom was trying to lure me for a long time, she right? Was. Because after she left, she felt very guilty. And we had, they had an old fashioned uh, 60s, uh, late 60s kind of divorce where I couldn't talk to my mom. I wasn't oh allowed to God. have a picture of her and all that stuff. So Ugh. she left and then didn't look back, right? Um, but so she did, she had a lot of money in when I was in high school. She was selling real estate during the boom. So she was always trying to lure me. And my sister went up there first. So it was real. Uh, it, she made no bones about it that she wanted me to go up there. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. So then when you decided that you finally would, it was like, hooray, you, I've got it. I'll get your room all ready for you. Yeah. And she she gave me a $25 uh, allowance every week. That seems a lot, which a lot blew, of money. Which yeah. blew my mind. Yeah. You know, and she would, you know. Were you just buying records with it? Oh, and, and platform shoes? Yeah. And she'd be like, there'd be like 15 kids getting drunk in the basement and she'd go, how many, how many of them are you? Cause we're going to buy, I'm going to buy you guys some chicken. Oh, wow. It's like, really mom, just don't come down here. Yeah. Um, and so she was really kind until, you know, she blew out a heart, but yeah, she was very nice at that time and just rolling in dough and it was, it was all good. Yeah. You really described us for some, some sexy basement times. And uh, not really. We mostly, sometimes our girlfriends would just watch her get drunk. Okay. And then they'd leave. <laughs> and then we just keep Listen, drinking. that sounds great. Yeah. Yeah, that sounds absolutely sexy. great. Okay, and then this is the last part of the podcast. This is uh, this is the MASH game. This is something that I am fairly positive you never played. <clears throat> but essentially what it is, I really should have just told you this before the podcast. Everyone's tired of hearing me uh, describe what it is. But basically, you're going to give me three things per column. I'm going to – what I'm trying to do – this in the old days, I'm going to pause it. I'm just going to pause it and tell you what it is so these guys don't have to listen. Guys, we did it. I don't think I wasted too much of Bruce's time explaining what MASH was. You I feel ready? I don't understand it, but I'm Fuck, ready. All right. Yeah. Fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, okay. Tomorrow, you wake up and you have the uh, prowess of um, essentially having mastered uh, uh, three different musical instruments. What three? Well, it would be guitar, cello, mm. and uh, oboe. Oboe. You knew that was going to be the dark horse. What, yeah. uh, why oboe? Because it sounds so good. It does, doesn't yeah. it? It's very underrated. The, both the oboe and the cello have really moody, the autumnal, gu- the, the guitar can too. sounds. And the guitar certainly can. Um, great, great. Love those choices. Okay. Next uh, is going to be, if you could have driven any car you wanted when you were in high school, what would you have thought was like incredibly cool? What if I had the coolest car in high school for one year? What if you had the coolest car in high school for one year? Give me three options that would have worked. Well, for I you. had one, so oh, I'll did? give you the one okay. I had. Okay, sixty-seven Firebird, amazing. Um, an MGB, those little sports cars, mm-hmm. and a. I, I'm such a loser. I'd have to say Mustang. That's what I would have wanted. Great. And then, what about? <laughs> Right now, if you had to travel by some unrealistic way just to get around that is not a car or like a bike or a motorcycle, give me three modes of transport that Bruce McCullough gets around via. Um, an electric wheelchair. <laughs> <laughs> um, a pogo stick like my son sure. is become expert at. Um, and the third, I guess, would be a silly bicycle. Like okay. one where you sit down in it and people come and ask you questions. <laughs> <laughs> Which you know you're inviting when you yeah, decide that you're yeah. going to be a silly bicycle rider. I completely understand. Okay, great. Okay, next category is uh, three hobbies, again, that you maybe don't have time or there's something that keeps you from pursuing them and none of that bad stuff exists. So three things that uh, that you've cultivated that are your that, that are hobbies of yours um, that I would like to if I had time. Mm-hmm. Um, the the first one is going to be really boring, but I'm trying to be honest and improv. I appreciate it. Um, cooking. I wish yeah. I was an excellent cook. I already think that you're a great cook. Oh, well, that's very kind of you. 
Um, Whenever I go to Bruce's, he's like, "Shall I make you some chicken?" <laughs> yeah, I can only make. <laughs> I, can, I can only make um, chicken. Between what you can make and what I can eat, chicken is always a safe bet, and so that's why um, you're just looking out for me. Uh, I also wish I. This isn't really a hobby. I wish I was interested to travel. I understand. That's I'm not. what I'm saying. That's why this I is kind of not, an interesting. Like yeah. I can't, in theory. Yeah. You know, exactly. Uh, like uh, I've been to Europe like three times, the same place over and over. Um, <laughs> and the third hobby that I would like, um, I would like to know another language, and that's not really a hobby. That's great though, because I, I don't know anything. Well, you know what? I'm gonna. So one of this next category is going to be in relation to that, which would be three languages that you wake up tomorrow and you're fluent. Well, Spanish, so I could yeah, communicate well, we with my housekeeper who, I, who I've never communicated with. Um, I would also like ger- to understand German. Mm-hmm. I don't know why. And, it, and Italian, because I would like to go to Italy and be able to order food and, and act like one of the people who live there mm-hmm. beautiful okay um three bands that you wish uh were like your buddies um from anywhere in time living or dead doesn't matter well and it could be like a singer songwriter too it doesn't well, have to be a whole band i'll have to say and i was thinking about her for some reason when i was driving up here the most brilliant person who she's big but she's still underrated pink yeah i love pink she's so amazing. Um, and I'd say Husker Du. I wish for my friends. This is amazing. I read the Bob Mould book. and Yeah. You did, was, yeah. It was my... That's right. I remember it was kind of my that. life, too. Um, except I didn't come out of the closet. Because mm-hmm. uh, I'm not gay. <laughs> um, uh, and, well, I, I have to say the Rolling Stones. Sure. Just because I've spent so much time reading about them and listening to them and trying to understand them yeah that i would really like to know those guys that's great okay um all right i'm down to two categories this is tricky mm-hmm. now one of the categories i gotta be perfectly honest with you typically is whether someone's married or not and yeah. i always feel weird about doing it when yeah. i'm close to the spouse yeah is three women from they could be from fiction they could be from a uh, film they could be uh from times long ago you could answer the three women that would have been your answer famous women that would have been your answer when you were a teen whatever you want right but three uh sort of like romantic interests well i guess i'll have to say pink just because we talked about her and then Great. i you have a good chance of either becoming her buddy or her <laughs> at least one night stand if that way yes of course um uh i have to say um, Weird side note about that, real quick, and I can't remember if I've said this on the podcast before. I don't think I have, but when I first moved here, my very good friend at the time, Laura, who had just moved down from San Francisco, is like, just maybe the like, you know what she is? She's like the Angelina Jolie of lesbians in the sense that, um, I don't know if that really makes sense because straight women are like, I'd be gay for Angelina. Right. I feel like Laura is so hot and she's still very feminine, but she's kind of like a young drunk punk. Like she's a, right. like always has a smudge of right. black eyeliner on where you're like, did you, did you put that on or were you born with that? Did you sleep? It's like Chrissy Hind. Right. So every straight girl is like, I think I might be gay for Laura. She um, had moved down and was working as Pink's kind of tour manager and assistant and friend. And Pink was out on tour and Laura and I needed money because I just moved down here. And Laura was like, hey, I'm just um, we're redoing Pink's whole house while she's on tour. Do you want to come help me like decorate and get rid of stuff? And so I ended up one day coming home with like a box full of stuff that Alicia is her name, not Pink, but like Pink didn't want anymore so i even right now in my home i have something that at one time belonged to pink wow so like i could give her a <gasps> pair of sunglasses that her face had touched oh that's very they're very good yeah anyway okay so pink is the first one um i don't know if i can be able to deliver actual art uh our artifacts uh from any of these other people but and i wasn't asking for panties if that i don't know what you well, got God. I don't think I did. <laughs> I'll have to check. I'll have to. I'll have to blow off the layer of dust on the box that I've never opened now. Um, who else would I have to say? Um, Reese Witherspoon. Hmm. 
because she's plucky and funny, and then she got drunk and yelled at a cop too. <laughs> she's a little fire fire plug, well, and, spark plug. Yeah, and she's um, seems very savvy, also. Yeah, and I'm going to say another savvy one, Miranda Lambert. Great. I just love that little. I, maybe I like little plucky girls. I do. You do. It's great. Yeah. You didn't pick any like you know young goth girls with daddy issues. I know. I, I don't know the names of the young girls. <laughs> you needn't because yeah. obviously these are not they're not your cup of tea. Uh, I'm very pleased with that. I'm going to end with one of my personal favorites, uh, which is any food good for you, bad for you, doesn't matter. Could be a very specific thing that you like that restaurant that we went to when we were in Toronto, mm-hmm. a little thing you like to get there. You can't get anywhere else at the drop of a hat anywhere. Snap your fingers. You have access to this food. Three. Well, the food you just described, of course, which I have at the queen mother in, in Toronto called ping guy. And when I walk in, they just bring me ping guy, ping guy, Got um, it. that a Tom's house of pizza, um, Hawaiian pizza, Mm-hmm. which is a pizza place I frequented a lot as a as a drunk teenager. Great. And then the third thing would probably be um, the, the pancakes at Jar, the restaurant Jar. Oh, really? They're, they're excellent. Oh, my. I like the pancakes at Hugo's. I wonder if Jar has gluten-free pancakes. Hmm, I don't know. I got to do some research. Okay, so this is the part where I do a little process of elimination and tell you what yep. you end up with, but that involves you telling me, starting now, when to stop. Now. Okay. I'm going to tally this up. I will come back with your 100% guaranteed oh match Oh, my God, I can't wait. I know. Okay, I'm very, very pleased and satisfied with the outcome of your mash uh, game. Now, <clears throat> with the mansion apartment shack house part, which is mash itself, um, usually I tie that to a vacation home somewhere, and I, that's just it didn't happen to be a category that I picked. But I've decided that uh, I can tell you where that place is based on the language that you ended up being oh, able to so uh, speak fluently. So I'd like to congratulate you on your mansion yay you got the best one in italy oh lord because you speak fluent italian i think this goes along with that very nicely uh you are i'm glad i can't speak german because i that that was in germany yeah i i don't yeah i've never been to germany i'd like to go i actually hear berlin and uh both berlin are is amazing and then um a place that i'm forgetting stuttgart my old sure yeah what's another big city Two hours later, I'm still trying to get to the bottom. <laughs> and Munich, Munich, Munich. Someone loves Munich. Munich. Someone in my life loves Munich. Uh, okay, so you have a mansion in Italy, and you're a very accomplished chef. Oh, that's good. Yeah. I like that. Cooking in Italy. Mm. And then I like to think of your uh, palazzo as being, you know, sort of a villa, maybe like on the Amalfi Coast. So there's a, you drive your um, 67 Firebird <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> down the cobblestone street. To get, uh, you know, maybe you have to go kind of far away to get some some farm-grown stuff. You come back and you cook. Um, I don't know how... But you know what? You might have to drive your Firebird kind of a ways because you also... Uh, although this is available to you at the snap of a finger, so I shouldn't say that. So you're, you're, you're cooking, but you're also able to, when you don't feel like cooking, snap your fingers and eat pink eye. Yay! Whenever your heart desires. Um, maybe I have a, a cook from... Uh a Thai cook who you lives, might have lives a, in the you house. You might have a charming Thai cook uh, who is cooking for you and who enjoys the sounds of you practicing your guitar. Yay. Because you definitely got guitar. Um, and I also want to congratulate you on the adorable Miranda Lambert, uh, who's a big part of your life. Yay. But also a big part of your life, your very good friend, Pink. I see drama there. <laughs> I already see a problem. No, I can figure it out. As your emotional mistress, I know there's no room for another emotional <laughs> mistress. So she's just going to have to be your friend. Miranda, I don't know. Tracy, in real life, is the best wife anyone could ever have. So you're very lucky that uh, you have that. But um, that covers everything except that when you're not driving your Firebird, I want to reassure you, you can still get anywhere you need to be at about a fifth of the speed in your electric wheelchair. 
<laughs> so this is what my life's going to be after I have the heart attack? That's right. Oh, that's so That's great. right. And now I'm looking forward to my heart attack. Could happen anytime. Good. Could happen anytime. Bruce, thank you so much for doing the podcast. Miss Varney. Um, you have some uh, some dates uh, where you're doing, you've done some kids in the hall shows. You're doing more? Uh, this weekend we're doing, doing some. Okay, so you I don't know when this shows, drops, this is, as you kids say. I think say. I might drop it tomorrow. Um, where are your shows this weekend with kids in the uh, hall? Chicago on Friday and then in Detroit on Saturday. Chicago and Detroit. And then you have um, solo shows coming up as well. And people can go to your website to find um, out what those dates are? No, I'm just, I'm actually you know, redoing my, my website. Somewhere. I'm just redoing my website I couldn't remember because I, if you'd found I realized that I have to do that. Because and if you want to do Bruce's website, if you're a webmaster <laughs> and you, uh, I do have a lot of very talented people. If you are a webmaster and you have time and you think that you could design Bruce McCall's website, cut to me getting just <laughs> thousands of, you can post something on the Facebook page um, or message me there. Um, and uh, okay, so you're doing some dates so people can just check their... They'll find out somehow. They'll find out. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm big on self-promotion. about it. Yeah. <clears throat> um, and then uh, rest assured I'm going to be telling you when that book becomes available because I cannot wait. Um, I adore you. I love you. And I love you, love you so much. And... I do end uh, the Boys of Summer series with a snippet of Don Henley's Boys of Summer. <laughs> oh, so good. Not playing it, singing it. Okay. I don't know any of the lyrics, except for the lyrics I've already sung, and I feel like I want to look up different lyrics. Do you know the song? Of course I do. I love it. Sing it. After the boys of summer are gone. As always, the JV Club theme song is Back Before We Were Brittle by the amazing Say Hi. Now leaving Nerdist.com. 